Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. to another edition of Take It to the Bank. I got my boy Vasily Loricos with me, and we're coming to you from 4th of July. So whether you're listening to this on 4th of July, July 5th, whatever, happy 4th of July, Independence Day, we love it. But we don't take any days off here on Baltimore Beatdown. We're in the studio, we're grinding it out. Only a couple more weeks till training camp until the dead zone's officially done. We got plenty of stuff to talk about. Football's almost back. We're excited, I'm excited. I know my boy Vasily's excited. How are you doing today, man? I'm excellent, I'm excellent, Logan. How are you today? I'm good, man. Just trying to enjoy the holiday, getting some burgers, getting some hot dogs. You know, I heard you're making ribs. I might, I might slide over there just for some ribs and chicken. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm all about it. It's July, you re- there really is only baseball on and it's kind of frustrating, but football's almost back. I can't say it again. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm amped. Absolutely. Great time of year. The World Cup's been pretty entertaining as well. I will, I will, uh, I've been enjoying that for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's funny, though, because you actually reminded me of something when we were arguing off the record about, about a prospect. And we were talking about Rashawn Evans, and you said, well, we'll see. And that's what, what because this entire offseason, I've been making all these claims, talking about all these prospects that I studied and stuff. And then I realized, wait, I'm either going to be proven right or wrong in a couple of months. Like, that's what I'm excited about is that I can actually see these guys in NFL uniform. And it's just, it's just a great time. I'm so pumped after, after all this dead zone. But let's get right into it. We're going to re- continue our schedule preview. Uh, now we're on the week five. We're on the Browns. So we covered in the previous episodes their week one matchup against the Bills, their week two primetime matchup against the Bengals, and their week three matchup against the Broncos, and their road primetime game week four against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And now another divisional rival. The Cleveland Browns. This one's in Cleveland. Uh, just a little history of the series. Uh, the Ravens lead 29-9, uh, 14-5 in Cleveland. And then of the last seven, though, 4-3 and three for the Ravens. Last seven hasn't been too great. Ravens have struggled a little bit, but I think that this is a different Cleveland Browns team that I've said, and I've said it this entire podcast. They've had so many key additions. This is a, a vastly different roster, much more talented roster than last year. Uh, they added Tyrod Taylor, Jarvis Landry, Chris, Chris Hubbard, Carlos Hyde, Demarius Randall, Baker Mayfield, Denzel Ward, Nick Chubb, Austin Corbett, uh, Michael Kendrick, EJ Gaines. They brought in a new offensive coordinator because they didn't previously have one. Now they got Todd Haley. However, they did have a couple of big losses. They lost Joe Thomas, arguably one of the best left tackles ever to play the game, Hall of Famer, without a doubt. They lost Isaiah Crowell, Danny Shelton, Jamar Taylor, and Deshaun Kaiser, which really wasn't that big of a loss. Um, Give me your overall thoughts of of this Cleveland Browns team, because I'm high on them, but I don't think you're nearly as high on them as I am. We're going to have to see how it turns out for the Browns this year. Uh, They're going to have to prove it. Um, Last year, we're winless, but they averaged the third best total in the NFL with four 0.5 0.5 yards per rushing attempt, and their rushing defense was also very stout, allowing a second-best 3.4 yards per carry. So they're definitely built for the rugged style of AFC North football. They're going to be looking to improve upon that 22nd-ranked passing attack with the new coordinator, Haley, and they're going to also hope to tighten up the pass coverage uh, that, that allowed 28 touchdowns last season compared to just seven interceptions 
reviewing last year, uh, or just head coach John Harbaugh, he really has a sparkling lifetime record of 18-2 and two versus the Browns. Uh, last season, the Ravens won the first meeting 24-10 to 10, as the defense dominated former quarterback Deshaun Kaiser. They turned him over five times. And then the second meeting, the Ravens went on the road in late December to beat Cleveland 27-10 in a game where they forced three more turnovers and tight end Ben Watson caught a 33-yard touchdown. Start with Cleveland's offense. I mean, different quarterback, obviously. Last year, they had three different quarterbacks take snaps in the regular season, 24th overall. Like you said, 22nd in pass, 18th running game. Uh, the biggest questions for me, obviously, and I think you'll agree, and we've talked about before in our offensive line rankings, who's replacing Joe Thomas. I think Austin Corbett could potentially do it at left tackle, but some believe that he's not big enough or his skill set isn't suited to play tackle in the NFL. They might just slide him on the inside. And he might not even start because of their two talented guards in, in Batonio and, and Zeitler. But potentially Corbett, uh, Sean Coleman could be a candidate for left tackle. Either way, neither of those guys right now are nearly as talented as Joe Thomas. The other questions I have is, are these wide receivers going to mesh? They brought in Jarvis Landry, which is really good. They got Josh Gordon coming back. Uh, he played towards the end of last year, but again, full off season. Is he going to take that step that everyone's expecting him to take? Um, and then the three-headed monster running at the running back position. I'm curious what they're going to do with the running backs because they got Nick Chubb, they got Duke Johnson, and they have Carlos Hyde. That's a that 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 seems like that could be a very good running back core. But how is Todd Haley going to use those pieces? Are they going to go? I've read reports that they're going to go with the hot hand, but. Who knows what happens with that? But they do have three different guys with three different skill sets, which is very interesting. It could make do for that Ravens 2008 kind of three-headed monster in Cleveland. Uh, quarterback play, how's Tyrod Taylor going to do? I mean, is Tyrod, Tyrod Taylor's entire career, he hasn't been spectacular, but he's been efficient. He's been, he doesn't turn the ball over a lot, which I think is very key for him. And, I, and I'm curious to see how he does in Cleveland with what seems like a stable of weapons. The loss of Joe Thomas absolutely cannot be understated. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer in my mind. Uh, the matchups on the defense or their offense against the Ravens defense is going to start up front. Brandon Williams is going to have to have a strong game against that excellent interior offensive line and the power rushing attack. Hopefully Jimmy Smith will be back in time to mark Josh Gordon, which would allow Marlon Humphrey and Tavon Young to match up with their other starting receivers, Jarvis Landry and Corey Coleman. And they do have additional weapons. Tight end David Njoku, I think he's going to have a breakout season in 2018. And pass catching back Duke Johnson is also a dangerous weapon out of the backfield. C.J. Mosley is going to have to help regulate the middle of the field against that, that duo. And then I think this is a game where defensive coordinator Martindale may want to deploy a speed rusher, speed rusher such as Timmy Williams against their heavy-footed offensive tackles and mobile quarterback Tyrod or Mayfield if he if he grabs a job by then. And they're just going to have to try to create some turnovers against that that usually causes Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, you're definitely going to need to have a quarterback spy. You need to have someone, a linebacker closer to the line of scrimmage because Tyrod Taylor, I mean, he can take off. I mean, we've seen him in Baltimore for four years. I mean, we know what his skill set is. You saw him in Buffalo lead that team to the playoffs for the first time and end their drought. I mean, Tyrod Taylor is, he's just an average quarterback, and that and that's the thing. And that, that might be just what Cleveland needs. They might not need a superstar just yet. I mean, with, with that defense and that offense and the offensive power, firepower that they have, they might not need a superstar quarterback, obviously with help, but that might not be exactly what they need. Uh, defensively, I mean, this defensive line is dominant. This defensive line, they were seventh best in run D last year, 19th in pass D, 14th overall. 
but they allowed the 31st most points in the entire league. They were 21st in sacks, and they, they allowed, offensively, they allowed the sixth most sacks. I mean, Miles Garrett, first-round pick in 2017, he had seven sacks in only 11 games, which is very impressive. Can he build off of that? How is he going to do? Uh, they added Chad Thomas, uh, defensive end from Miami in the draft. Curious how he fits. I wasn't thrilled with that pick, but I'm curious to see how he develops in the NFL. Uh, defensive line, obviously, is their strength. Can can the Baltimore's offensive line hold up this this dominant unit? I know they struggled a little bit in their matchups last year. Um, they And they also have great depth at linebacker. I mean, Scobert, Kirksey, Collins, Kendricks. I mean, that's a great linebacking core. And I'm curious who who's going to shake out to be the starters in that group. I mean, they just added Mike, Michael Kendricks from Philadelphia. And, Kendricks is great. You know, Kendricks was a great addition for them. Going to help them a little bit in pass coverage, solid in run D. Curious to see what he does with Cleveland. And how is this secondary going to do? I mean, they've seemingly upgraded this secondary. They got uh, Denzel Ward in the draft, fourth overall, EJ Gaines, Brianne, Body Calhoun's their nickel guy. And then safeties is kind of interesting, too, because their their cornerback, Demarius Randall, is shifting over to say or shifting back, I should say, to safety. They got Jabril Peppers from last year. Curious to see what he does. He's more of that box safety. So th this secondary certainly has a lot of questions. They certainly have a lot to prove. But this is a Cleveland team that is very confident after coming off of an 0-16 season. I mean, I've seen interviews of these guys. They were on NFL Network a couple couple weeks ago when uh, minicamp was going on. And Josh Gordon was talking about how they're the best wide receiver core in the league. They're talking about playoffs. They're talking about potentially Super Bowl. I mean, I love it from a team that, that just went 0-16 to be this confident. But... Do you think it's false confidence? I think it's going to come down to coaching in a lot of ways. They definitely have a lot of talent on paper. There's no question about it. Their defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, is very aggressive, and he puts uh, fields a hard-hitting defense where they, they really look to impose their will physically on the offense. The key matchups on this side of the ball, I think, as you mentioned, Miles Garrett had a great a great season. He's going to be up against Ronnie Stanley primarily in a battle of former uh, you know top six picks blue chippers um, and we're gonna have to see if, if Stanley can supply Flacco with enough time I think if Flacco does have time in the pocket uh, Hayden Hurst should be able to make some plays against uh, Peppers who is leaves a little bit to be desired from the strong safety position I also expect the Browns to stack the box and force Flacco to beat them. So he's going to need Crabtree to help him move the chains. Their corners are a little bit undersized, so I think Crabtree does will have a physical advantage over, over them. Uh, but I'm also interested to see how they're going to utilize Jamie Collins, who had a down year last year but was very effective his time in New, uh, New England, um, playing that, that edge rusher role. Yeah, I think offensively the game plan for the Ravens is very simple. You have to attack their corners. You have to attack the secondary because – Trying to, I mean, establishing a running game, you obviously always want to do that, but that's their strength. You don't want to play into another team's strength. You have to attack their corners. You have to attack the deeper parts of the field. And Joe Flacco is going to have to be sharp. He might not, and the offensive line's key too, because they're going to have to protect Joe because they have so many edge rushers that are talented, including Garrett, that can seemingly get after Joe. The offensive line's got to be key for them, but they really have to attack them. And then defensively, this secondary has got to set, step up for Baltimore. I mean, the Cleveland Browns, they have a great wide receiver core on paper right now, and I think that it could translate. I mean, Jarvis Landry is incredible. I mean, what he's able to do and his 
his ability to take short gains into long gains is incredible. I'm, I'm curious who Baltimore is going to have matchup against him. Uh, you said that Jimmy Smith might be guarding Josh Gordon. That wouldn't be a bad matchup, but I'd like to see kind of Humphrey do it. Maybe it, it might not be the smartest move, but I want to see what Humphrey's got because Humphrey proved to me in that Week 14 game against the Pittsburgh Steelers last year that he can step up against any wide receiver in the league because he shut down Antonio Brown when he was against him. I think he only allowed like two receptions for like seven or eight yards, somewhere around there. So I want to see Marlon Humphrey go against Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon's a physical phenom. He's a freak. As long as he can stay on the field and avoid the off-the-field issues, He's going to make an impact for this team. Antonio Callaway, I mean, he is honestly the in the epitome of a wild card. I have no idea what to expect from this guy. I mean, he was arguably one of the most talented wide receivers in this class, but because of his extensive off-the-field issues, he fell, that, fell way down draft boards. I mean, if he didn't have any off-the-field issues, I would even argue that he might have been the first wide receiver taken off the board, but unfortunately he did, so he fell down the board. But I'm curious to see what they do with him. And Corey Coleman, I mean, seemingly the forgotten man in this receiving court. I mean, he he hasn't been that that impressive in the course of his NFL career, but he could take the next step this year too. I mean, with the, with less pressure on him to, to perform, I mean, there could be a lot of open areas for him because he could be going against Baltimore's third, maybe even fourth corner. I mean, he could be going against Carr, Young. I mean, who knows what's going to happen, but this secondary has got to step up. And, and the key for me is going to be stopping the Joku as well. I mean, the Ravens struggled last year to guard the tight end. Can they stop Njoku, whether it's whether it's Jefferson coming down, whether it's Mosley, whoever, maybe even Kenny Young, if you want to throw his name in the hat. I mean, you got you just got to find a way to stop him because Njoku certainly has talent. He certainly has potential, and he certainly proved that last year. Very talented receiving core. Corey Coleman, I believe, caught two touchdowns against the Ravens uh, as a rookie in one game, which was pretty impressive. Overall, I think it's going to be a tight, hard-fought game. At the end of the day, I'm going to take Baltimore in this one. I think they squeak out a slim road victory. Uh, and I just have to lean on them because they have the advantage in special teams. And Harbaugh just is a superior coach to Hugh Jackson any way you slice it. I agree with that. I disagree with your result. But I, I agree that Harbaugh is better than Hugh, without a doubt. Like, I don't think that's much of a debate. But I don't know, man. I think that this is this is the start or, or towards the beginning of that tough stretch that I seemingly say every single episode. And I think that after playing the Broncos and the Steelers, I don't know. I think that the Ravens might get caught sleeping in this one. I, I don't think it's going to be a, a, a blowout by any stretch, but I'm taking Cleveland by a slim margin. I'll say 27-24 uh, Cleveland. And Cle this is not the same old Browns team. I'm sorry. It's just not. And I think they're going to come back in a big way this year. And I think the Ravens end up splitting the series with the Cleveland Browns. But I think First game in Cleveland, I'll take Cleveland in this one. So another thing that we do, another segment that we do, is we rank every position group in the AFC North. Uh, we finished the offensive side of the ball last week in last episode, so definitely check that out. And then now we're moving on to the defense, and we're going to divide it a little bit differently here, but we're going to start with the safeties. And the way that we're doing the safeties is we're doing the entire group. You know, We're not just doing the two starters or threes or whatever. We're, we're doing the entire group, and – I think we have most of the same list from what, I, from what I'm aware of. Uh, I'm going to let you start. We got number four. Who do you got? Number four is going to be the Cleveland Browns. They allowed 28 passing touchdowns last year, which was the most in the division by a wide margin, in large part due to their underwhelming safety play. Jabril Peppers was a player who I believe was quite overrated entering the 2017 draft, and his play last year did not change my mind. He ranked as Pro Football Focus's number 78 safety. Not good. Uh, they did add Demarius Randall, who played for the Packers. 
and he's definitely made some plays. He secured 10 interceptions along with 32 pass deflections over his three-season career, albeit he was playing the cornerback position. Um, and Cleveland's going to try to attempt to convert him to safety. She did play in college at Arizona State, but there's a reason why Green Bay switched him to corner. Concerns mostly about his instincts and coverage technique. And behind them, they have Derek Kindred, a strong safety type who is nothing more than a replacement-level player. Um, and they're, they're going to be fourth in my book because they don't have the quality starters or the depth. I certainly agree. The Browns are number four for me as well. Uh, you pointed out Jarrell Peppers. He was an interesting draft prospect, if, you, if we can go off on this tangent real quick. But he was a guy who was a great athlete, but no one really knew what position he truly played. Like No one knew where to put him. And the Browns took him, and they thought that safety was his best position. Personally, I wouldn't have put him at safety. I would have, I would have told him to slim down or gain a couple more pounds and then go play linebacker, but that's just me. I think he's better suited to play line, the linebacker position, but I guess the, the Browns disagree with me on that one. They put him at safety. He definitely struggled, as you know, to pro football focus, did not grade him very positively, and he just wasn't the player that I thought he was going to be in his first year, but he could improve. He could bounce back in year two. We've certainly seen that before. Guys who struggle in their rookie year and then bounce and then bounce back in their second year, third year, whatever. Certainly in Baltimore, we've seen that. So I'm curious to see what Jabril Pepper just does. But now he has a nice compliment to him in Demarius Randall. You mentioned that he didn't play uh, safety in the NFL. He played safety in college, played cornerback for Green Bay. Uh, he was a great cornerback for Green Bay for, the, for a couple of years when he was there. But I, I, I think after watching his tape a little bit, I think he can make the transition. I think that these three years playing cornerback, his instincts got a little bit better. He's got a little bit more of a feel for the game, a little bit smarter about what's going on, more of an understanding, I believe. And I think he can, he can definitely be a solid safety for them in that free safety, rangy kind of role. And I'm curious to see how this works out. But as I've said pretty much in this entire rankings, I'm not putting anything until what you show me on the field. I can't put stock into what I think is going to happen or what I believe could happen. I'm putting stock into what has already happened. And right now they have the worst safety group in the league. I mean, Derek Kendrick is just another guy. You know, he, he's just a jag. He's a replacement level player, like you said. So there, there's no way I can put Cleveland any higher. But the thing I want to note, and we were talking about this before, is that this entire division, like, doesn't really have quality safeties. It's not a great group, and they're mostly all – what I would say, other than maybe Randall and a couple of their guys, they're mostly that that like uh, box safety kind of player, which is really interesting. It's but yeah, Cleveland's number four for me. Who do you got for number three? Number three is the Pittsburgh Steelers. They added Morgan Burnett, another former Packer. I think he's going to be a major upgrade over Mike Mitchell. Uh, he's a good coverage safety in zone, and especially when manning up uh, out of a slot with receivers. But he has regressed just a bit in recent years and was never much of a ball hawk to begin with. Sean Davis, their other projected starter, he racks up tackles, but he definitely misses his fair share too. And he is quite inconsistent in coverage. Behind them sit a pair of rookies in Terrell Edmonds and Marcus Allen, two more downhill strong safety types who I expect are going to struggle in coverage at the next level. So this is where we kind of disagree on some things. I have the Ravens at number three. Um, Eric Weddle and Tony Jefferson were probably my biggest disappointment last year. Um, I thought that when they signed Jefferson, I was thinking, I was clapping my hands together saying, wow, they made a great move. I think that this duo could have the potential to be the best in the league, and they were far from it. Um, you always talk about it with speed with Jefferson. He certainly lacks it. Weddle is getting older, and he certainly lost a step or two. 
And to be honest, they're both just box safeties. I thought Weddle would make the transition to that free safety role, but in that center fielder type, but he really hasn't. And I mean, I know he's done that a little bit in his career, but he really hasn't done it with Baltimore. I mean, he was certainly better as a box safety, and they have two box safeties. Not enough of those game peas and the, and the misutilization of them, but they just weren't good last year. Um, they struggled a lot. Jefferson missed, I think, 11 tackles, according to the Pro Football Focus. Certainly had a down year. I mean, I thought one of his worst games against Pittsburgh in Week 4, he allowed um, he allowed a two touchdowns. He got trucked in the red zone, uh, got beat by a fullback in the route in the end zone. I mean, it was just, it was just disgusting to see what – Jefferson really what they paid him compared to what he performed as and it was really just a letdown I thought that he was their splash signing in 2017 and did not prove it in 2017 in the season that he was worth that money I mean he's got a lot to prove this year I know they restructured his contract but there could be a way that they could let him go next year if if they if he does not perform up to expectations because there's a point in time where you just got to let go and you got to give up on him and move forward because he really he really disappointed me I thought Eric Weddle I know everyone wants to talk about his six interceptions and leading the team and all this other stuff, but the reality is, is that Weddle struggled a lot more than a lot of people really care to admit. Weddle was awful in coverage last year at times. He often got lost, uh, dropped a lot of interceptions, way too many for my liking. Uh, got to work on that. I mean, he had six interceptions and he easily could have had at least seven or eight, if not even more than that. Um, instincts are still there, but I'm curious about his play speed. I'm curious about how he's going to perform this year with another year, but with a new coordinator, everyone's talking about the, there's a couple themes that everyone's talking about. They're talking about freedom, um, setting loose, and just and more advanced schemes. They're, they're, they're all saying that. They're all happy. All, every, every defensive player that have met with the media, they've all said those kind of things. They're happy with Wink. They think that he's going to allow them to be themselves. Let's just see how that works because I'm curious. I'm really curious what's going to happen. I mean, in terms of the backups, we know I'm Anthony Levine Sr., Chuck Clark, Deshaun Elliott. Seemingly all guys that are all box safeties again. Uh, curious. I mean, Chuck Clark was pretty good last year in a limited role. I liked what I saw from him when Anthony Levine went down. But, again, just more of a box safety. Deshaun Elliott, uh, a lot of people are confusing his play thing. A lot, we, we reviewed him a couple weeks ago, I think. Uh, everyone wants to say that he could be a free safety. Uh, I think he's more of a strong safety. If you look at his interceptions, it was really him just being in the right time and the right place. I don't know if he's that great in coverage either. He certainly struggles for my, too much for my liking as well. So I think that there are some positives to take away from this group. But right now, with how they played last year, I can't put them any higher. Who do you got for number two? My number two team is the hometown Baltimore Ravens. I disagree with you here. Uh, Eric Weddle, he's been a five-time pro bowler, and he continues to be an impact player. Seven total takeaways, including a forced fumble last year. And I agree he has lost a step, but uh, but he's still a serviceable, above-average player. It's Tony Jefferson, uh, he, let's be honest, he did not play up to that big contract last year. His first year, he definitely struggled mightily in coverage. He has some good qualities, uh, blitzing off the edge. He did have some success there, and I'm going to hope that the coordinator – Wink can put him in the position to succeed. Uh, and then Baltimore, they do have a lot of quality depth. Chuck Clark, he's a player that's been getting a little bit of run as a free safety. Deshaun Elliott's a player that I think play a little bit of that free safety center field role. And Anthony Levine, very underrated player. He's he's a playmaker in the dime packages, whether it be on blitzing, uh, etc. I, I, and then they, we could even factor in Maurice Canada could potentially also convert to safety. So they do have good depth there. The, this division really does lack that center fielder uh, in the mold of, of the Honey Badger or Malik Hooker. Mm. And, but I do think that the safety is going to be the Ravens' 
main defensive vulnerability in 2018. Absolutely. And I just want to mention this just in general. Uh, you talked about uh, Sean Davis because the Steelers are my number two team. You talked about Sean Davis and, and missing tackles. Certainly a guy that has missed a lot of tackles, especially last year. According to Pro Football Focus, in the passing game, he missed 10 tackles. And in the running game, he missed eight. So that's a lot. That, that, that's, a lot that's a lot of missed tackles for, for a safety, especially one who you would think would be as talented as him, who's a box safety. Uh, Morgan Burnett. Great addition. I thought this was the perfect signing for Pittsburgh. Turn out to be good for Pittsburgh because they certainly lack that center fielder type. Um, then the draft, I absolutely hated what the Pittsburgh Steelers did to address this position. Uh, they added Terrell Edmonds, which I thought was the worst pick in the entire draft, and they added Marcus Allen. Again, two guys who pretty much play the same exact position, do the same exact thing as your backup pieces. I don't really like what, what Pittsburgh has in terms of depth-wise, but I do like their starters. I do like Morgan Burnett. I think if Sean Davis can work on wrapping up his tackles, he can certainly be one of the better safeties in this league. So for me right now, as bad as Sean Davis might have been last year in terms of tackling, I still think he was better than Jefferson. So I'm going to I'm gonna give it to the Steelers number two. Who do you got number one? By process of elimination, my number one safety pairing or safety corpse in the AFC North is the Cincinnati Bengals. Both starters, George Iloka and Sean Williams, are solid players. They had down seasons in 2017, however, combining for only two interceptions. What I do think of the Bengals did well was taking Jesse Bates, uh, a player you liked a lot in the second round. He is that true center fielder, that Harrison Smith or that Earl Thomas type. He was all over the field at Wake Forest. And Josh Shaw is another intriguing young safety who can who has some utility as a deep safety in dime packages. And I think the Bengals safeties definitely have the most upside. And also combined with the fact that their secondary allowed the least completions over 20 yards in a division last season, they are in the top spot in my book. I really don't have too much else to say. I mean, you kind of made my case for me. I had the Bengals number one as well. I like their depth. I like what they have. I think Jesse Bates is going to take over as a starter sooner rather than later. I know the Bengals historically don't usually play their a lot of their rookie defenders early, but I think Jesse Bates is going to be that exception. I think Jesse Bates is phenomenal. He was one of my favorite safeties coming out. I thought that he, and we always talked about it, I think he, that he perfectly fits Marvin Lewis's system. You know, I, he's going to be that great center fielder, and he might haunt the AFC North for years to come. George Iloka, Sean Williams, Josh Shaw, I mean, they certainly have the most depth in this group, and they also arguably have the most talent in this group as well. So for me, the Bengals get the number one spot. It's really going to be a position to watch some of these high-octane offenses on the schedule, New Orleans, Atlanta, the Chargers, the Chiefs. They're going to test the safeties of the North, so we're going to see how it plays out. Moving on to our rookie preview segment, we've gone through working the draft class from the last drafted player to the first. We found a few players that we liked, including Bradley Bozeman and Deshaun Elliott. And now we're going to preview Jaleel Scott the Ravens' fourth-round pick. He was the 32nd pick in the fourth round, 132 overall. He's a big target, 6'5", 215 pounds out of New Mexico State. He began his college career at Ellsworth Community College and before earning first-team All-Sunbelt honors last year with 76 catches for 1,079 yards and nine scores. Athletically, his 5-point excuse me, 4.5740 was one of the slower times at the combine, but his nearly 35-inch vertical jump 
was quite impressive for an already tall prospect. Overall, Scott lacks ideal agility and quickness, as evidenced by his third-worst three-cone time, which does show up on tape. Yeah, I certainly uh, agree with everything you just said. I mean, I thought that – so him, uh, Cortland Sutton, and Alden Tate were kind of like the, the same players. They kind of played similar games. I thought Cortland Sutton obviously was the best out of all of them, and I think Cortland Sutton has the most upside out of all these guys, the most ceiling and probably the higher floor as well. But – the very similar playing styles, and I, I did a film piece actually uh, right when the Ravens drafted uh, Jaleel Scott on him, and things that came out to me just right off the bat, catch radius. I mean, this guy, he's got incredible catch radius. Wherever you put the ball, if it's anywhere near him, he's catching the football. His ability to go up and track it is also phenomenal. He's got great great awareness for where the ball is and where, where he is. He's got great sideline awareness. I mean, you look at all the plays that I put I pulled out. I mean, he certainly knows where he is on the field. And I know that sounds like kind of ridiculous or silly for me to say, but if you really think about it, sometimes a lot of guys get lost on the field and they end up making a lot of catches out of bounds. That's certainly not Scott. Scott knows where he is. He's got great body control and body positioning. What I mean by that is he's able to use his big body and big frame to box out guys and create great positions to where only he can catch the ball. Again, the knocks, play speed. I'm curious how he's going to create separation because even in college against some of the lesser talented teams, he wasn't really creating separation against these these weaker cornerbacks. He was just out-muscling them and, and just because he was flat-out bigger than them. And in the NFL, that's not going to work that much against these talented cornerbacks. Uh, red zone can certainly be used in the red zone, his ability to go up and just snatch the ball. And I'm going to throw out this comparison, and I'm not saying he's going to be nearly as good as this guy because I don't think he is. I'm not saying that he's nearly as talented as this guy because I don't think that he is. But in terms of play style, just to give you a kind of comparison of what I think he plays like, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Mike Evans. And not because he's that talented as Mike Evans, because, again, he's not. But I think that the way he plays, because Mike Evans, a little bit of a slower guy, but a guy who's got great body control and great body body positioning and is able to just, like, kind of out-muscle. And I really do like that comparison. I think that, to me, that, that makes the most sense. He's just a poor man's Mike, Mike Evans. Let's hope for the Ravens that he's able to do that. But, I mean, Scott, again, can't create separation. He doesn't have that big of a problem with his hands. His hands are usually pretty good, but he did struggle a little bit at times with drops. But nothing to be concerned about, certainly not like Lasley. Uh, I think actually a better comparison pro comp would be Kelvin Benjamin because Mike Evans has a little bit more speed. But other than that, slight disagreement. I completely concur with your tape breakdown. What I saw on tape, as you mentioned, just absolutely enormous catch radius, which I do think is going to play at the next level. Uh, you know, the cornerbacks aren't going to be any necessarily – bigger he's still going to have that size advantage a lot of ways but as you mentioned body control box out the defender high points the ball to bring down contested pass passage he is nearly impossible to stop on fade routes his best game of the year was against a state he produced a line of eight for 149 and one including a spectacular odell beckham-esque one-handed jump up in the air velcro type touchdown and he is a polished route runner i was very impressed with his route running with those subtle little moves to create space sharp cuts getting in and out of his breaks quickly and tracking the ball well on the on the downside his his uh minuses are areas to work on below average play speed absolutely his hands are good not great he did drop five of 77 catchable passes per pro football focus and he definitely had issues catching the ball cleanly at the combine as well. And he's as strength to get off press coverage. He's a little bit lanky. And he's going to have to work on his toe tap near the sideline. In college, you only have to get one foot down. In the pros, you need two. 
And I'm not, you know, he left some plays on the field or would not have been completions if he was playing NFL ball last year. Uh, and lastly, he just does not offer very much elusiveness after the catch. Absolutely. And, and again, I just want to say, just so no one twists my words, I do not think that he's going to be anything close to what Mike Evans is. But I did pull up a couple combine numbers just to throw it out there. Mike Evans ran a 4.53, 37-inch uh, vertical, and he was a 7.08 seconds in the three-cone drill. Kelvin Benjamin ran a 4.61 at the combine, 32.5-inch vertical with the 7.33-second three-cone drill. And then Jaleel Scott ran a 4.56, 40-yard dash, 7.2 in the three-cone, and then a 34-and-a-half vertical jump. So I, do th- I don't think that you can go wrong, honestly, with either comparison. I think they all play that similar style where they're just bigger, they're just taller guys with great catch radiuses. Um, but the other thing that I want to mention, uh, I want to bring this up, is that a lot of people want to compare him to Tommy Streeter. And that comparison couldn't be more far off. Let's not forget, Tommy Streeter was more of a speedster. Tommy Streeter was literally just a tall guy who could run down the field, and, and, and he was fast. That's not who Jaleel Scott is at all. Like, they're not even close to the same player because Tommy Street's strength was his ability to just run by defenders. I mean, that's not – Scott has never done that his entire career, and he won't do that in his, in his career with his, with his speed. So – and Tommy Street had questionable hands. Scott certainly has better hands than Streeter. So I think that there's, that comparison could not be more far off. Listen, the Ravens have 35 players drafted over the last four draft classes – that are currently under contract, all rookie deals, not to mention they're undrafted free agents. So not all these guys are going to make the team. It's going to be a very competitive battle to, to earn that sixth or seventh wide receiver spot. We even had a, a news out of the castle this week that uh, Ravens special teams coordinator, Jerry Rosberg thinks that the returns are going to, we're going to see an uptick in returns because of the way that they change the rules, which could potentially make that those final receiver spots even more competitive. But I do think that Scott is a near lock to make the team as a niche player that can serve as a possession receiver and dangerous red zone target. Morningwink, think about this. Morningwink can use him along with Crabtree and two tight ends near the goal line or for crucial medium depth third downs. And that's a lot of tall physical targets that Flacco can throw some jump balls up to and move the sticks or punch the ball in the paint. Ultimately, I'm not sure Scott's ever going to develop into a starter, but he can definitely fill a role in the 2018 Ravens. And he's a nice piece of the team's new versatile receiver room. I don't think that he's ever going to be a starter. I think that he is a lock this year. I also think Lasley's a lock this year as well. Um, I disagree with that. If um, I think they're going to find that returner somewhere else, not a, and he's not going to be a receiver. But that's just my prediction. That's just my take on it. Um, but I, I would be shocked if they cut Lasley because I, I believe that if they cut either of these receivers, um, one of them would get scooped up. They wouldn't be able to throw them on the practice squad. So I'd be surprised if they did that because essentially at that point you'd just be burning a pick unless they show up to camp and really struggle. But I don't foresee that really happening. I know both of these guys got some – great reviews out of minicamp and OTAs. But again, I don't really put much stock into that, but I'm just saying it should be worth noting that. But I don't know. I disagree. I think that I, I think that Scott could – I don't think he's going to pan out to be a starter, but I think he could have a bigger role. I think that if he proves that he can find that niche, obviously, in the red zone and, and like you said, in the short meeting does, he could be getting more snaps. I mean, who knows? I mean, I hate to say it, and I don't want to be this guy, but injuries are a part of the league. Injuries happen oftentimes. I mean – 
who knows how many of these wide receivers are going to stay healthy. And that's the biggest thing is that's why I think roster predictions at this point really, I mean, I did one, I fell victim to it, but like, I think they're hard to do because injuries happen. We've seen it. We saw it last year. It was that seemingly never ending wave of injuries. And who knows if the wide receiver room gets hit hard with injuries and what they're going to have to do. But Scott, certainly I liked him more than Lazard, like, like we both said, but I didn't love the pick. I thought there was better options out there. Um, we talked about it so many other times, but there was definitely better options out there in that fourth round that they could have went with. But Scott could be an intriguing player. Um, I just don't trust guys that much that played at smaller schools like he did at New Mexico State. I, I would rather take a guy like Deion Kane who played at Clemson, but Deion Kane certainly could be a, a better – I think he's going to be a better pro than Jaleel Scott, but that's, that's just my take on things. I have to admit I did like Kane coming out of Clemson as well. Uh, what else you got, Logan? We're going to tell everybody to uh, keep it locked on Baltimore Beatdown throughout the offseason. We're coming out with our divisional previews and our daily Ravens news. We scour the web for all pertinent Ravens stories as well as your your, your excellent film study pieces. Yeah, uh, so the, the votes are official. The votes are locked in, and I knew this was going to happen. So the next film piece is so after the Flacco Part 4 is done, which which should be coming out on Thursday, so July 5th, Make sure you tune the web, tune on to the web, BaltimoreBeatdown.com for that. But the votes are official. And, and what rookie do you think won the next film piece? It shouldn't surprise you because it's Lamar Jackson. Um, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to do Lamar Jackson just because I think that it was overplayed, and I think a lot of other people already did it, but I will do it. Uh, surprisingly, Kenny Young got a lot of votes. I didn't think he was going to get a lot of votes, but Kenny Young got a lot of votes. Deshaun Elliott also got a lot of votes. Both of them finished second. They were actually tied and then interestingly enough, for the Ravens 2017 film review, Matthew Judon won. I didn't think he was going to win. I thought uh, other guys would have won, but Matthew Judon won with Eric Weddle coming in second and Brashad Perriman coming in third. Certainly not the outcome I was looking for, or at least I thought was going to happen. But interesting, I, 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 Judon had a great year, and I can't wait to study it some more. You know, I mean, we saw his elevation last season. Judon's a great, more probably the most underrated player on the team in my mind. Oh, wow. I thought he was going to say Willie Henry. But um, thank you so much for coming in, joining us. Uh, we do appreciate it. Make sure you check us out on Twitter at BeMoreBeatdown. Check us out at BaltimoreBeatdown.com. You can follow me on Twitter at RealLoganLevy. Vasily doesn't really have a Twitter, nor does he use it. So we'll just tell him to get up with the times at some point in time. But you can find him on MySpace, I think. Uh, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, we're out.
My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron. Support for Pivot comes from Polestar. At Polestar, every inch of every vehicle they design is thoughtfully made. They're made to transform auto performance, accelerating from 0 to 60 in less than 4.2 seconds with fully electric all-wheel drive. They're made to elevate the driving experience with LED headlights and a panoramic glass roof. And they're made to uphold a greater responsibility to the planet using sustainable materials and energy-saving systems. The result is a car that combines the best of today with the technology of tomorrow. Pure performance, pure design, Polestar. Design yours and book a test drive today at polestar.com.